Can you hear me now? I certainly can, Apricot. Whoopsie, that was some early morning audio issues. Oh, well, look, I got to listen to the fancy music. I don't think anyone else did. I was I was imagining it in my head. It was it was well chosen. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of Talking Ozpol. Um, some of you may remember the campaign check-in, which was the podcast we ran during the 2020 federal election campaign. Uh, Talking Ozpol is the successor format to that, and it's basically designed to run in in between elections. That way we can kind of keep them separate. Um, it will, however, follow a similar presentation to the campaign checking where we invite members of the community on board and they can join us and we can talk about the last week in Ozpol. Um, today, Napster, Napster Scott will be joining us. Napster, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello. I'm assuming I can be heard. Yes, you yep. can. Yeah, uh, I apologize if I don't sound great. I'm on my phone. My I um forgot to charge my laptop, so I'll hopefully get the audio more clear in a bit. Um, but hello, everybody. My name is like Scott, and uh, I'm a member of the Labor Party for like around six months now. Um, mm-hmm. yep. I'm currently in year twelve doing politics. It's like my unit three four subject, cool. and um. I guess that's pretty much it. That's a good enough it. start. <laughs> <laughs> good as um, Adit, if people don't happen to know who you are for some reason, would you like to just quickly introduce yourself as well? Yeah, I'm one of the moderators here at Australian Politics. Uh, I don't have any particular political party affiliation, uh, though fortunately for these things, I'm highly opinionated. <laughs> Indeed. Um, (laughs) And for those of you who don't know me, my name is Apricot. Um, I'm also a moderator here on r slash Australian politics, and I'm also a member of the Greens. Um, First off the bat, I would just like to apologise to everyone. This episode was supposed to go live last week, um, but then I went and got COVID. um, And I don't think an hour of me coughing into a mic was really, you know, listenable. Um. Well, we're glad you're on the mend. Thank you. I feel like it. Um, Well, I think we might just jump into our first topic, if that's all right with you guys, Um, which is that there's already been some battle lines drawn, particularly in the Senate for this new government, um, mainly around the budget and the stage three tax cuts, as well as the 43% emissions targets. Um, Is how, how do we think this is kind of, representative like is this right like is the last week of you know chest thumping and things like that particularly between labor and the greens like indicative of the next term or do we think things will mellow out let's jump to you napster scott seeing as you're the guest um well i guess i find it a little worrying to be honest obviously as like a labor like a at least but for the most part labor supporter i don't think it bodes well um I think it's also a general sentiment that a lot of people want, like, uh, like given the election results with the um, independents and Greens doing so well, a lot of people want Labor to collaborate with them, obviously, especially on stuff like um, climate change policy. And it feels like, the, and, and even I, because I find myself being a little bit, like, I guess, in between Labor and the Greens on some issues like climate change, 
and I just and it's frustrating to see them like you, on one hand you kind of understand it because they kind of want to avoid the bad press but on the other hand it it feels a bit gutless almost but it, like in a weird way for them standing up it feels almost gutless like to the press that's my take from mm-hmm. it anyways hmm, fair okay enough. what about you Adi? well i I, I suppose uh, for, for me, I feel it's uh, it's still a little bit early to call how it's actually going to to play out. But at the moment, it seems that uh, they've they've come out all guns blazing. Uh, the Greens are probably the main uh, protagonists here, though the Teals are in there. The Libs, I think, uh, sort of hang back in the background. But it's it's interesting from them that they're signalling. There's possibly room to negotiate, which which makes me wonder what what game they might be be playing there. Su- Susan Lay had, uh, as reported by the Guardian, said, "I'm comfortable with our position, but I also accept over the next few years, as we get the results of the campaign review, and get an opportunity to talk to people, we have the opportunity to introduce new policy." And I wonder if uh, they're looking at a, a play that is going to decrease the power of the the, the teals and the the greens. Uh, I feel like they will get some sort of emissions target passed because it was such a strong election issue. It was really on the the policies and campaign details of most of the uh, certainly all the main ones that ran had a an opinion on it. And many of the mine parties and many of the independents, climate change featured strongly. So I don't think the Greens' desire to have a higher target is going to come in. Uh, but I'd be surprised if it something didn't come through that was was basically going to be a little bit of a watered-down effort so that all sides could claim they had a victory. Right. <laughs> I don't know if I can be as optimistic as you in that, to be honest. Um, oh, I think, okay. yeah, yeah. So I think Labor's made quite a show of beating their chest, talking about how they don't even need to actually legislate the target. Um, if we're just specifically talking about emissions reduction. And Scott, you said before that, you know, part of it is that they don't want the bad press from, you know, working with the Greens. But I also think there's a bit of a more insidious reason for that, which is that they don't really want to platform the Greens because, like it or not, Labor and the Greens are political competitors. There's a number of seats now, um, particularly after the last federal election, where the Greens are quite well positioned to take seats, mainly at the expense of Labor. Um, you know, like they've already taken Brisbane and Ryan off um, the Liberals. The amount of Liberal target seats now for the Greens, particularly with the Teal Independents, is quite vanishingly small. Um, I'm actually struggling to think of one off the top of my head. I guess Richmond, oh. you know, in New South Wales. Uh, no, 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 that's held by Labor still. Christ. Um, yeah, I don't think there is one. And so I think certain strategists will be looking at specifically the 2010 election. Um, Coming back off Kevin Rudd's, you know, landslide victory, the Greens achieved their highest results in 2010. I think there's a significant amount of voters that kind of plumb for Labor in the hopes of getting rid of the Liberals. But in the following election, when Labor is the government, they might be willing to consider the Greens and other third parties. 
And so I, I feel like that's factoring quite heavily into Labor's thinking about this. You know, that the last thing any party strategist wants right now is to have Adam Ban, you know, do a press conference in a month where he's like, we managed to get them to come to the table. We managed to get like a 60% target or something. Mm. Um, I, I don't think he wants to legitimise them as a political force. So I, I think he will just kind of not legislate one. I think he'll just go through... And say, you know, we're going to uh, do our target anyway. It doesn't need to be legislated. And when you consider all the work that the states are currently doing on emissions reductions, they'll probably meet that target. Like, it, it's it's a politically easy thing for them to do to try and avoid this burger. But I think it's really mm. going to damage relations uh, with the crossbench and the Greens quite significantly. Um and, you know, people are talking about, you know, have Labor and the Greens learnt from the CPRS in 2009? Uh, they've definitely learnt, but I don't know if they've learnt the right, like, things, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, look, Napster Scott, uh, Apricot and myself tend to be, we tend to, to, to see the behind-the-scene things and what... Uh, well, we imagine we can think what the Labor might be thinking with regards to giving uh, power and attention to the Greens. But but how do you see that? Is that just sort of us being a little bit uh, jaded and thinking two political games? Uh, what about you? How do you see it? No, I can, I mean, I can definitely see it from that perspective. I think, um, like, I, I do kind of, on one hand, I really don't want it to be true. I would hope that, like, because at least... Maybe it's overly optimistic, but I think the way we're kind of possibly headed in the future is more of a multi-party system rather than having like a like one party in government. I mean, technically the coalition is already like a well a coalition, but they're basically one party. Um, yep. So um, I would hope that this isn't Labor trying to basically keep the two-party system around, which admittedly is beneficial to them because it means they get their agenda through, like. You'd hope, well, technically not 50% of the time, but ideally 50% of the time. Um, but I can definitely see it that way. I think the only thing I disagreed on with was, was with Apricot, who said that, um, uh, said that they are, um, oh, I can't remember what it was, something about the Greens and trying to like, uh, not like compete with like they because they're political competitors, so they're not trying to, um, they're trying to like do uh, some chest pounding to try and um, uh, basically look better to like people who voted Greens. But I think if they were trying to do that, they'd be going even more heavy on the climate change thing. I think they're trying to appeal to seats that are owned by the Liberals still, whether or not I uh, agree with that ideal. Because I think that they've pretty much, because I think the further like they go left, I guess, like the further towards green seats, then the more they lose those like more rural suburban voters, which I think Dutton's made pretty clear is what he's going to be trying to go for, like suburbs. Hmm. It's true. He has really made that abundantly clear. I, But that's just in the beginning of this term. I don't think that will really last uh, going forward because I don't think there is really just enough suburban seats for them to really gain um, to make up for their inner city losses. Um, like, because they just took an absolute pounding. Um, they might win a few suburban seats, you know, on the outskirts of like Sydney or Melbourne kind of thing. 
um, and surely the Nationals will contribute a few seats to their overall tally. But I just don't think it's actually feasible as a, as a long-term strategy for the Liberals to just try and target outer, like, suburban seats. They need to win back their seats. You know, like, Higgins, Kuyong, they need those back. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, okay. Yeah, look, if uh, Apricot, I know you're 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 very good on the figures. Uh, one, how would you d- define or delineate uh, an inner city seat? And two, what percentage of seats would you say, yeah, roughly, uh, qualify as inner city seats? So I sort of cheat with this, and I honestly just use uh, Anthony Green's, you know, uh, basically estimation on what constitutes an inner city seat um inner city seats when you're talking about cities like you know melbourne brisbane and sydney there's probably between generally five to seven seats that i would really classify as like inner city maybe a bit more on the bigger cities in melbourne and sydney um uh, I know, I believe you're in Victoria, Ardeet. Are you So, like, yep. obviously the seat of Melbourne would be inner city. Cooper is inner city. Um, but then when you jump sideways a bit to Maribyrnong, that's less inner city and more getting towards, like, that kind of ring between the city and the su- suburbs. Mm. Mm. And then by the time you get to, like, you go from Maribyrnong to, like, Jellybrand, for example, and that's suburban. So that's if that kind of helps you see, like, mm. the difference between mm. them there. Yeah, uh, yeah. Look, I was also urban, curious about the numbers too. Yeah, so yeah, it's generally between five and seven. I think maybe nine for Sydney, but New South Wales is an enigma to me, so don't hold me to that. Well, um, that's still that's still a, a, a large percentage. So it, it underscores your point before about the uh, targeting of the the outer suburbs by the libs. Yeah, I just don't think it's like feasible. And what it's one of the benefits we really have of the AEC that they, you know, that the independent commission makes the electoral boundaries because there's roughly the same amount of voters in each seat. So, you yep. know, like mathematically they can't really gerrymander it for, to, for it to help them. Uh, so they just they need to win those seats. Yeah, oh, that's a good point. Awesome. Um if it's all right with you guys, I think we might move on to our second topic, which is that the final Senate results have been declared. Uh, Western yep. Australia recorded a 4-2 progressive split. For those of you in the audience that don't know, uh, that basically means, so each state in Victoria, sorry, sorry, each state in Australia elects six senators at each election. Um, and when I say that Western Australia produced a 4-2 progressive split, what I'm saying is that four progressive parties managed to win a seat to the two conservative parties. In this case, we've got three Labor and one Green being the progressive parties winning seats, and we've got two Liberals winning the conservative seats there. Um, four two splits, particularly progressive splits, um, I find are fairly rare, particularly for WA. This is honestly, I think this is really just showing the McGowan factor from their last state elections shining through. Um mm. Yeah, so I just wanted to get your thoughts on this, guys. Well, this might I... be a good. Oh. <laughs> I was just gonna. This might be a good opportunity for me to hop onto my computer. I'm gonna see if I can still get it to work. All right. Well, look. Right, while shopping. you're while, while you're doing that, uh, I'd I'd make a like to make a comment about the the United Australia Party. I mm-hmm. personally I 
personally thought in these Senate results that that was that was a win for the for the United Australia Party. Now I understand that uh, it was previously Palmer United <coughs> Party, but that was mm -hmm. deregistered in two thousand and seventeen. Uh, I'm talking about the current incarnation, the United Australia Party, because as a lot of people in uh, business do, businesses fail or they don't seem like they're working, so they, they scrap it or bankrupt it and move on to the next one, and that creates a new entity. So I think in terms of what uh, Palmer achieved with the – or what the United Australia Party achieved with uh, remaining a party – and getting a, 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 a senator up, I think that was a undeniably a win for the new venture. Yeah, I, I'd concur with that. And I just want to highlight kind of just how important it was to get um, some sort of representation for the party. Clearly, uh, Craig Kelly, the former leader of the party, was going to lose his seat of Hughes. You know, everyone knew that going into the election. Um, but under yep. the new party registration rules, you actually need some sort of representation in Parliament if you don't have enough members, which the UAP, I doubt, could prove that it has enough members. Um so having yeah. that senator get elected there really kind of just, you know, keeps them alive, keeps them afloat, makes them able to properly contest the next election. Um, Ralph Barrett is the new UAP senator. He seems to be a bit of a character. Do you know much about him, Adi? No, look, I don't I don't really know much about him at, at all. I mean, U, UAP, UAP really arguably did a, a shotgun scatter approach to, to candidates. So... Uh, all I know is the bits that I, little bits that I've read, and it sounds like your assessment of him as a, a little bit of a character, uh, is, is probably is probably going to be correct. But look, I I don't I don't mind a little bit of extra flavour up up there, so it's it's good to to mix to mix it up. Uh, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll we'll see how he goes. But for me, I, the bottom line on the UAP uh, is I think that Palmer very likely has a ten to twenty year plan. People like him think in terms of decades, and unfortunately, the the click me dopamine blast me now culture uh, has become totally blind to patience. So you know. Palmer's an example of one of the the one-eyed man who can be king. Maybe Scott, what are you, what are your thoughts on you know UAP getting a senator in Victoria, WA's progressive split, uh, and after this, I would want to just touch on the Queensland Senate results as well. Mm. Yeah, so um, I I live in Victoria, and uh, I personally am not too thrilled by it. I know I've got some um. Some uh, some mates who voted for him because the big anti Dan and the lockdown, all that stuff, and it's like fair enough. I mean, uh, obviously, I don't really like the United States Party, but I think it's interesting that they only got a seat in Victoria. Uh, I think I, I believe his home state's either Queensland or Western Australia. Clive, yeah, it's Queensland. Um, well, I guess he was never going to get one in West Australia with all the um, lock the, the border stuff. But um, yeah, no. I guess on a personal level, I'm not really too upset about it because I mean, otherwise it was just going to go to a liberal. And um, but I think it's interesting. the The guy who got it is interesting. He's like a brand new face. Um, mm -hmm. uh, all I know about him is that um, um, this isn't me trying to like badmouth him. This is just all I know is that he got convicted of something. 
or, or pled guilty, or maybe was like, or didn't get convicted. He, I don't remember what it was. I think it might have been assault. Oh dear. Yeah. So the new UAP senator is one Ralph Barrett. Um, here's what I know about him. He's a former real estate um, agent. Um, he, he talks about how he's actually taking a pay cut by taking this 200 grand a year job for the next six years. And, but he's doing it to save the country. Um, and he was drinking at like 8am. That's really all I know about him. Um, he'll definitely be sidelined in the new Senate composition. I think, you know, when we have other options such as Jackie Lambie down in Tasmania and we have David Pocock in the ACT, I don't think Mm. his votes ever really like, I don't think any legislation will actually ever really hinge on his vote, at least for this term. Um, Mm, but it is very interesting to see. I'm also going to predict that the UAP will actually absorb most of one nation fairly soon. Uh, Pauline Hansen barely retained her seat in the face of, like, the legalised cannabis party of all parties. They had a pretty big swing against them. Um, You know, if it had been Malcolm Roberts contesting this election and the other One Nation senator, uh, rather than having Pauline Hansen and her, you know, star power in Queensland, I think they would have lost the seat. Um, Mm. And I can't really see them continuing... Oh, that's an interesting call. We'll we'll mark that down for a, a, a future prediction. <laughs> sure thing. <laughs> uh, let's see. Yes. So, what what were you going to say? I was before I was just about to move on to our last issue, but I am conscious of time. Did you want to read some comments or something, Adi? Uh, no, I just wanted you to. Uh, I, I just wanted you to to clarify. Just on the first topic, you'd talk about the the moderate libs looking to to moderate Dutton. Uh, I, I thought that was an interesting side topic to have in there. I I was was just curious what you how you saw that. So we've already had like Bridget Archer, who's you know become a fairly well-known moderate liberal now after she challenged Scott Morrison. Um, she's already signaled that she would actually like to have like personal input on ICAC legislation. You know, she wants that passed. Um, you've got certain, like the remaining moderates talking about how no, we got, we got guys, we actually need to have a proper climate change policy. Um, there. The faction, like the moderate faction, has been decimated. Um, mm. And I kind of thought they'd kind of, you know, just you know, go into that quiet good night um, after the election. But they do seem to be trying to assert themselves a bit, at least, you know. Um, will they manage that, though, is the question. And I don't think they really will. Like, Dutton has wanted this position for years. And I don't think right. any, he's going to let anyone act as a handbrake. Uh, okay, and and do you think uh, the other question I had to ask you on that? Do you think that uh, the the moderates favour more ambitious climate policies as a, a principle, or do you think they're just seeing that it's politically advantageous at the moment? A combination. Um, I'm gonna. I believe that basically the moderates. Um, will want to adopt Labor's position, essentially, you know, like the 45% target. That way they can't really be, you know, they can't be necessarily wedged on that in the future campaigns. Um, Mm. 
Because, like, it is clear from the election results that, you know, the public does want some sort of climate action. You know, that's just how it is. So proposing less than the government that just won seems a bit foolhardy, I think, to most moderates. Um, it comes, it really comes down to the individual MP as to whether or not they actually want the higher targets or not. Mm. Um, Paul Fletcher, for example, is now one of the key moderates, and I don't think he really cares all that much. Um, whereas someone like Bridget Archer does. Um, but maybe that's just my bias against Paul Fletcher, you know, coming out because he's a bit of a shit cunt. Tell us what you think. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, dear. What about you guys? What are you guys thinking about the moderate libs? Go for it, oh, Napster. Oh, okay. Um, I think it's uh, it's going to be difficult to moderate the libs when, like, obviously everyone said it or thought it, but like, there's it feels like there's none really moderate libs left. I feel like um, at this point, besides um, I guess Bridget Archer, there's like no moderate liberals who I've actually heard of before, um, and even the guy in like um, my uh, our um, electorate. Uh, I'm pretty sure he might technically be a moderate liberal, but it's like nobody's heard of him before because he, he's um replacing uh, the speaker. But um, I don't. It feels like Dutton really doesn't like um as well. I think David Littleproud, the new Nationals guy, said something about um. Uh, he said something about like not. Uh, like legislating emission targets or like wanting to go further. Than for emission targets, and it's like you guys are just playing the wrong game. You just need to accept this already, or else you're not going to get back in. Mm. It just feels ridiculous that they are clinging to this um, anti-climate change stance, like like the leaders of the Liberals National's parties, and yet like the public so clearly isn't for that anymore. True. Yeah, the I'd agree. Is- I don't think it's a winning. I don't think it's a, a, a winning issue. Yeah, I might have might have opinions on how the narrative of climate change is presented. However, mm. I'm with, with you, Naps Scott, I, I don't think it's a winning issue. Right. I think it's also worth pointing out, uh, particularly because you brought up David Littleproud and the Nationals before, Scott. I think it's worth pointing out that their pivot on climate change, because they have really pivoted. Um, and it's it's less like, you know, emission, you know, emissions reductions will, you know, destroy the country. And now they're like, nuclear energy is the way to go, guys. They've they've really pivoted hard into that. Yeah. Um seemingly because you know, A <laughs> we'll, we'll save the debate about nuclear energy, uh, maybe for next week. Yeah. But they've really they're really highlighting it. Um, because I think it's something that is it does appeal to a, at least a significant chunk of Australians and it's something that they could necessarily like pr- probably spin into something winnable kind of, um, you know, more mining jobs in uranium mining, lower emissions. It's the best of both worlds kind of thing. Um, yeah. yeah. Mm. So w- if whether or not they'll actually form that as a coherent position is yet to be seen. Um, but yeah, I guess we'll, We'll sing. Would you, would you say that and this is just sort of speculation? Would you say that uh, Labor's 
uh, position on on coal at the the moment and the coal fired cold fired power plants is uh, a little bit of a sort of trying to meet across across the aisle with the the libs. I mean, I I, I know the Greens aren't in aren't particularly in favour of it at all. Uh, however, with the influence of the the unions and still a number of people who are asking the questions, why can't we keep the coal going and get these power bills down? Do you think the the Labor and their their stance on coal and coal fired power point Oh God, that word coal-fired <laughs> power plants at the moment is uh, is trying to reach reach back and uh, meet with the libs halfway on that. No, um, they 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 are sending out a bit of an arm branch, I think, but it's not coal; it's gas. Um, they really want to expand fracking and things like that. Uh, they're kind of using it. They're kind of framing gas, I think, is similar to how the nationals are framing nuclear. In that, you know, this is how we get to net zero. Yeah, it's bad, but it's not as bad as coal. So, like, it's fine, guys. Trust. We need more. We need, you know, more fracking. Um, I don't think the science particularly supports that. Um, but as for coal, I don't think Labor is very good at targeting people. Um. They'll certainly be saying, like, yeah, coal is fantastic to people, you know, if you happen to live in the Hunter electorate. Mm, um, mm. But if you live in, you know, um, Wills in Melbourne or something, they'll be telling you, you know, how you know it's evil incarnate. Um, and I think that's really kind of one of the main problems for Labor. It's that voters, voters aren't actually stupid. Like, I, I, I feel like a lot of politicians think we actually are, but we're really kind of not. We can tell you when, you, you know, you're you know, pissing in our pocket and telling us that it's raining. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think we will see them try to expand more gas. Whether or not they actually will be able to, like, they, they blatantly can, and they're going to, there's going to be a problem when it comes to the budget in October this year um, because the Greens have already signalled that they're going to try and amend the budget to remove public funding for fossil fuels, including gas. Um those amendments will likely fail simply because the Liberals will vote against them with Labor. So the question then becomes is how willing is Labor to constantly be seen voting with the Liberals to support fossil fuels? Um, Because that's going to be a very damaging image. That's a very good framing. So... I don't know. It's it's going to be very interesting once Parliament resumes. Um... I do feel like they've taken a bit of a combative approach, particularly, um, you know, not necessarily just with the Greens now, but they also, you know, the staffing cuts as well. Um, that There feels really no need to cut independence advisors from, you know, four down to one. Like, that is a mm. significant cut. And, you know, um, it wasn't generally reported, uh, particularly in the AFR at the time, but the Greens... Are also pretty annoyed about their staffing allocation because they've gotten six new MPs, but they don't have any new staff to deal with them. So they basically, you know, Max's, you know, Max Chandler Mather, the new member for Griffith, his advisor is going to have to come from the current pool and have to take that from someone else. Um, so we don't actually have any like new staffing resources, despite being a bigger party. So. Uh, and- you're you're more aware of the the internals and and the actual functioning of these things. 
can you just explain that for me and I'm, I'm presumably for a, a few people out there as as well i didn't understand how the new candidates come in they get their um their, their staff but the greens the greens got new uh new members in but they don't get any extra staff for that i i, I didn't understand the mechanics of that is there a simple explanation there actually is. The Greens have party status. Uh, when you have, I believe, more than five MPs elected in Parliament underneath the party umbrella, that uh. qualifies you for funding and things like that. Um, so, you know, the independent for Warringah, Zali Stegall, has her staff assigned, um, whereas the Greens have a pool uh. of staff. Uh, the uh. Greens also get access to um, the the Green Institute, which is their thing state, which is their think tank to further green policy. They get to, you know, that got funding from the Commonwealth to set up. And I think these pressures will kind of encourage the Teals to form a party probably sooner rather than later, because if they do form a party, they do get access to a think tank. They do get access to a staffing pool rather than individual advisors and things like that. Um, so it would probably be a better position for them to be in um just in terms of productivity and real politic but that would obviously require them giving up their independent status Good ah. can someone explain to me I, I remember seeing uh that they the independents used to have one staff and then the liberals upped it or at least they had less than the liberals made it for yes Do we have correct. like any information on like when that happened like why was it just to try and get independent votes by giving them more people I don't know when it came into being. I think it was like 2020. Um, and depending on your opinion of Scott Morrison really kind of comes down to it. Um, a lot of, a lot of people will say that was just an attempt to buy independence votes, but, and, and, you know, maybe it was, but the fact of the matter is there has been a number of internal parliamentary reviews before that have found that, you know, crossbenchers are overworked, that they don't have enough staff. And there was even one that found that four wasn't even enough for them to be properly across, you know, all the legislation. So is there a need for extra staff? Probably, most likely. Alve signaled that he's going to fund the parliamentary, like, librarians more so that they can kind of fill the gap. But, you know... There's, there is a difference between like a parliamentary librarian and an advisor. I'm sure the librarians do a fantastic job at their job, but their job isn't necessarily to advise. Hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, that's uh. where I was at. <laughs> that was a little bit of a detour. Sorry about that. No, that's 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 good. And it was I I had uh, pre-detoured us with that uh, thing on the moderating the the Libs and, and Dutton. I uh, just no, knows I like we've got it. a got a, uh, a, a we don't have any uh, don't have any questions, but we've got a, a hello from uh, Ben along, and also a hello from Canada from registered upstairs nine nine six one. We have addressed a, a question from Ben along on how long the UAP senator may remain in the the party. He gives it till Christmas, so we can put that down on the predictions. But it's good to see a couple of people from uh, different parts of the world joining us this morning. So just wanted to pop that in before we get on to the final topic, Apricot. Fantastic, and it is great to have you all here. Um, this next topic might be a little bit nitty-gritty for some, which is that the Greens party is having some internal issues. Um, what does that mean for a party that just had its best result ever? Um, 
if if you guys don't mind, I might just provide some context for the audience and you guys, particularly because I am a member of the Greens. Um, Currently, uh, there's a bit of an issue in terms of uh, TERFs in the party, Uh, specifically in the Victorian branch. uh, We recently elected our convener of the state branch, which is sort of like the president of the branch, sort of. Um, Just explain that acronym for people who don't understand it. Uh, Trans-exclusionary radical feminist. Um, Basically, the Greens do currently have a policy, you know, supporting trans people, and there is a subset of members within the Greens that want to wind wind back those policies. Um, There was it. it, There was an issue, particularly around 2018, um, and then it kind of died down, went away. But it really seems to have reared its head again after the election just before it. and it's kind of a really inconvenient timing, and it's really bad um, because again, we just had we have had our best result, and it, it you know how many articles have been published about this now? Four or five. Mm. Um, it, it's just disappointing to see uh, the convener election has been uh, thrown out. Basically, an independent review found that, you know, certain processes weren't followed correctly in terms of the election, so they've ordered a new one. Um, And now that's setting up for a fight with that because it looks like um, the convener that was previously elected, Linda Gale, will be contesting that again. And now that it's been amplified more, um, it's probably going to be a much more hotly contested election, and I'm honestly not looking forward to it. Um, the New yeah. South Wales branch also recently expelled um, a member, like a notable turf member as well. Um, I'm aware that Queensland, the Queensland branch, uh, back in, I think, 2015, had their own, like, issues, but they've sorted that out now. Um, it, it's just not, it's just not good. Uh, that's that's interesting, uh, the, uh, the, the turf... Uh, connection to uh, Linda Gale and Anna Kerr, if I heard you correctly there, and, and presumably those who support them. I, I had heard about them being outed, uh, outed, ousted. Uh, I didn't know, didn't fully understand the complete range of that uh, that connection. I And it's also worth pointing out that Linda Gale... Um, is sort of part of a cabal in the Victorian branch. A lot of power is concentrated with a few people. Um, they've been engaged members for, you know, going on a decade, if not longer. And it's just, it's it's, it's quite frustrating. Um, perhaps if, like, power was more decentralised in the party, this wouldn't even be an issue because they wouldn't be able to, like, get the numbers to kind of get these positions to try and wind back policy. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see and, how and that goes. Also, in addition to that issue, uh, as I see it as well, and you might have just been about to get onto this, uh, there's the band in front of the, the flag, which I imagine has got a lot of support but might well have uh, some of the people who tend to get concerned about optics not being particularly pleased and leading into that probably based on Bant's, it's not based on, but riding on uh, what Bant said as well is Lydia Lydia Thorpe. 
mm. and uh, her comments as well. I feel uh, my perception from the outside is that they are also divisive issues. Would you agree? To an extent, particularly Thorpe's comments. Um, in general, like when it first started, when this whole like flaggate stuff happened, um, a lot of people were like, why the fuck is this like a thing? Yep. Like, you know what I mean? This has been going on for years now, you know, why, why like it seems to really kind of making a mountain out of a molehill, um, which I, I, I found uh, the Herald's editorial about it kind of a bit ridiculous how they complained that um oh you know greens should be talking about policy rather than flags when you know it was their paper that kind of amplified the whole Hmm. flag issue rather than reporting on we know what Bent was actually talking about during that press conference which i believe was you know the energy crisis and you know how we can kind of navigate that you know um, if you want, if you want policy highlighted, highlight policy rather than you know cultural crap. Yeah, I think. Um, well, yeah. If I if Sorry, I may just interject here, I think um, mm-hmm. at least like like from what I've seen, like the Greens have been doing this for ages. This isn't a new thing. I think it's pretty pathetic that I guess expected of the media to suddenly highlight it just because it's like you know politically inconvenient for the Greens for them to bring it out like now is like a big issue. And especially because, um, like, I and also because how the meet, like, as you said, the editorial and um, how it said, um, oh, why aren't the Greens just focusing on policy? Well, they are focusing on policy. It's just the media chooses not to report on that policy because it doesn't because it doesn't sound bad on the Greens. Yeah, I don't know if it would necessarily, you know, because it doesn't sound bad on the Greens. Um, I think. A lot of the time, the media doesn't know what to make of the Greens, really. Um, there was that stupid, stupid article, um, which got quite a laugh amongst the membership uh, after the election, you know, after, you know, we'd picked up three new senators, three new members in the House of Representatives, had our best ever election, and the ABC had just decided to run an article uh, titled, like, you know, who are the Greens and what do they want? And we were like, we've been here for 30 years. We've been very clear with what we want. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you do. Look, you do wonder about that. Internal issues, I think that it uh, these have been grist for the mill. Uh, I, I know that uh, there's many there's there's many sides to the the media outlets out there. However, I think it's it's a reasonable enough generalisation that the Australian media as a whole tends to be more closely aligned with the two major parties, and in my opinion, uh, seems to be very much in favour of keeping the status quo. And I think they keep this, having the status quo kept means that they can use the same formula for their news and generation of ad revenue that they're used to. They don't have to change too much. So I think there's a, a strong bias to supporting uh, the institution of government as, it's, as it stands. And that includes having the two major parties being the main players. So I feel like the the Greens have got internal issues. However, they've also got external issues. And I think the external issues 
are really how they are supported or not supported by the uh, the mainstream media establishment. I think that's I think that's potentially an issue on them for them, and I think that's going to serve to highlight the internal issues, which are very real. I'd yeah. say you're correct in that. I uh, I'm gonna take that a little bit further, RD, if you don't mind me. I'm just yeah. uh, like a little bit more of a pessimistic view, I guess, just to add to it. I think as well these um like media companies like Murdoch and like Nine Fairfax and all that, they have like a vested interest to keep the two party system because it's easier to donate to two parties. Like it's um <laughs> you, you like donating to two parties. Yes. <laughs> and you know it's pretty clear that at least that there's a good amount of people, cough cough Murdoch, who benefit from having their voice heard in these specific um, party room discussions and having only two parties make it, makes it way easier to get what you want. True. That, that is fairly correct, I'd say. Um, yep. Yeah. So that's very interesting. Um, I'm just conscious of time. It does look like we are, you know, basically just about to wrap up. Uh, do, did you want to go ahead and read some of the comments that we have? Because we have gotten a few new more and then I'll basically close us out. Yeah, sure. Look, we've got. Uh, let's put the spam ones to the 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 side, uh, and we've got there. This is from Red Tonks. There are still people who think Greens are a one-issue party. I had to explain to a young Labor voter that wasn't the case. So that's uh, a comment. Oh, we've got one here from. Uh, uh, actually retarded says hello from Pennsylvania US USA I look I suppose the names are what they are uh, I used to be an Australian but Pauline Hansen scared me away uh, we've got one you. yeah got one here a bit closer to, to home from uh, Ben along interesting also that a former Queensland senator has now recently left the Greens party and seems to have resigned from politics. Uh, he also agreed with you, uh, Napster Scott. I agree with Scott. Some of the teals will probably amalgamate. I think that uh, was April. Actually, I think it was April. Credit where, where, credit where credit's due. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and then there's, you know, we've, we've got the uh, back down to the, the good mornings and the the, the hellos. Uh, so... That's the that's the comments. No no further no further questions. Uh, but it's good to get it's good to get comments from people on the outside listening to us, or not on the outside, with us here in the audience listening to us. Uh, it's always mm. good for us to get a bit of a opinion and feedback. Sometimes we're thinking about what we need to to say, and there's some some good points that that need to be raised. So we appreciate that. Thank you for that input. Indeed. And just quickly, Ben Along, um, I wasn't aware about a set of former senator resigning and leaving the party. I presume that would have to be Andrew Bullock. Can you uh, confirm that for me? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll check the comments later. And with that, guys, I think that really brings us to the end of our first episode of Talking Ozpol. Um, If you have any feedback or anything, please feel free to leave it in the comments for us. Um, I won't do a meta Ozpol thread this time, considering we have such a large audience this time. Um, yep. We will be back next week. If you guys are interested in coming on the show to talk about Australian politics, please just send us mods a message and we'll invite you on. Um, uh, Napta Scott, I'd like to thank you for joining us today. You've done great. 
Very no good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Apologies for the technical difficulties. Oh, no, that's okay. It, I had it, my it own. Fine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> if, if Apricot and I had never had po a technical difficulties, we'd be uh, we'd be saying something, but we have, so no worries. No, it was good. It was Indeed. Good, good chat. I, I enjoyed the the uh, open discussion format. Excellent. So and thank thank you from me too, Apricot. Thanks for. Uh, I know you are still a little bit crook, but I appreciate you putting the effort for in and and getting the uh, getting this uh, next podcast off the ground. All good. And just for the record, anytime you see me mute, I'm having a coughing fit. Um, <laughs> so that's it. Thank you for joining us, everyone. Hopefully we will see you back here next Sunday at same time, uh, 10 a.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. Um, if not, good luck on your travels. See you later. Bye. Bye.